This is Stover, the barbecue hunk. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Have a hunky day. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike your match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. This is a show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. Originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, as you see it behind me in its magnificent glory. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening's live fire fun and frivolity show. If you want to jump in tonight through phone calls or emails, here's how you do that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at bbqcentralshow.com or on the Twitter and Instagrams at BBQ Central Show. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you didn't get the newsletter coming up in about 13 minutes from now, third Tuesday of the month. Brings a monthly visit from Barbecue Icon, Barbecue Hall of Famer, Barbecue Central Show Guest Hall of Famer, the most prolific live fire author ever to grace the writing stage, TV show host, cooking class instructor, and the list goes on. Stephen Reichlin will once again join us. Notwithstanding that, we move to the 35 past the hour segment and returning for his second debut on the show is fast food reviewer and expert Bill Oakley. Yes, Harvard grad, former Simpsons writer, and now finding himself in all sorts of new fame with this whole fast food review situation that he's got going on solely on Instagram. So follow him over there. At that Bill Oakley. Then we will move to the second hour. It's a new quarter, of course. We know that. And in 2021, I have made an effort to bring in quarterly guests. And we have a new one here showing up for the second time. Is none other than the creator of the Hardcore Carnivore brand. And you can find her recipes at JessPriles.com. None other than Jess Pryles. Be joining me. And rounding out the show. If that is, I could call it a day right there in the evening off of Stephen Reichland, Bill Oakley, and Jess Pryles. But no, I need to force feed you even more live fire content. We will go steak. We will go perfect steak talk with none other the man who is now a myth and perhaps even legend after pulling off a perfect steak core. Oh, I was doing so good in the open. After pulling off a perfect stake score on July 10th with what happens to be my birthday? Yes. The best day of the year. 
We will be joined by first-timer to the show, which I think continues to keep a streak of new guests showing up in successive weeks. I don't know if anybody's been keeping track. But the pitmaster of Wicked Pig Barbecue and now sole earner of perfect steak score in SCA, Matt Overson. Remember last name Overson? His sister Marissa Overson won the Worlds earlier in the year. We had her on. Battled through a little echo on my side, but we got through that. And now Matt finds himself on the show. And by the way, I have to say, as I was setting this up, Matt very generously offered up the fact that he's been a fan of the show for years and years. So I'm doubly excited to talk to a somebody who has achieved perfection in competition and then also having a very loyal Central Light be able to come on the show and take part on the whole other side of this deal. Not just a listener, a participant and an expert on this side of the coin. It's Matt Overson. That's your show. Matt Overson, Jess Pryle, second hour. Bill Oakley, Stephen Reichlin, second hour. You want to hit at me, greg at the bbqcentralshow.com or call 216-220-0966, although I know you won't. You can follow me socially on Instagram, Twitter, Twitter. Man, it's like the first four minutes were effortless, and now it is a train wreck. The likes I can't get out of my own way from. You like that? I do? Thank you. I look amazing. A great background, isn't it? I know I'm trying to get over more, so the terminal tower is more there, but we'll have to... I don't want to retape it. I'm very lazy. But it's pretty neat, right? Looks good. Yeah. Uh, where was I? Yes. Uh, stumbling over my words and giving you social media information. For a live video feed of the show, you can go to Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show, also on YouTube slash RD Rempe. And don't forget, there is an ad-free podcast feed option if you are so inclined. In two different places, you become a patron over at the Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash BBQ Central Show, or you can subscribe directly in the Apple Podcast app. For a small monthly fee, you can have all of the reads eliminated from the feed if you so desire, or just listen as you have low these many decades. First and foremost, a lot of you have noticed it in instant chat. My wife was just down here talking about it, and let me move out of the way so you can bask in the glory of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland. If I can give you a tour of my favorite city, the most attractive destination across the nation. Closest to me is the icon of the skyline, the massive skyline as you see. This is called Terminal Tower. When I moved here to Cleveland, this was the only thing that was downtown that was over 20 stories. Terminal Tower. Uh, the top now has been outfitted with LED lights. It changes colors at random when the Cavs play home games. It goes wine and gold. It's a whole thing. It's got its own Twitter account. You can tweet at it and say, hey, can you make me these colors? And if you're lucky enough, it'll do it. So that's the Terminal Tower. This is the key tower right here. That's the tallest building in Cleveland, probably clocking in somewhere around 60 stories, maybe less, maybe a little bit more, but definitely not 100. That's the newest one to town. And then on the right there, uh, that's the second 
major skyscraper that made it in. It's now the Huntington Bank. It used to be this Ohio building. Then it was the BP building. Uh, down just underneath the BP building is none other than the Jack Casino parking lot, which you can see right there and uh, all the way over here to my uh, my right and your left. Uh, that's the new downtown post office right there. So uh, there's Cleveland if you've never been. Quick jaunt through my city. Not necessarily the most striking skyline, but as Meathead took me to task last week and said, why do you not have a skyline of Cleveland? You're very pro-Cleveland. I'm from Cleveland, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame City, barbecue capital of the North Coast. Luckily, I'd already had it in the works. But when you search Amazon for background of Cleveland, dick comes up. I mean, not... Tr- I'm being facetious, of course, but there aren't a lot of options. Perhaps I should say it that way. So I found Matt Sexton, who's a local photographer here in Cleveland. And there was this picture in his collection. And I said, I think that might be it. So we put together a contract and he printed it off on a nice vinyl banner. And up it went, sitting on top of my poured concrete basement wall. So I'm very excited to fully now represent Instead of people going, you're from Cleveland, but you have a Manhattan skyline. Yeah, I mean, Manhattan skyline is legendary. And it holds a lot of cachet. And there's a very loose tie back to me just from the state of New York. Definitely not New York City. So now to have Cleveland here, very happy. Uh, Feedback from the show over subsequent weeks. Dennis in Colorado referencing the smoked barbecue source interview. Across the globe, the Barbecue Central Show's got your live coverage. Halfway across the planet, in this case of informational quality. All Joe needs is a great mic. Dennis, thank you for writing it. In Joe's defense, he actually did buy quite a substantial microphone, but as we were sound checking, there was an incredible low-end hum that we couldn't figure out, so we decided to forego that, and you heard what he did. It was perfectly suitable, but I feel bad because he went out and and bought a real microphone. John in Ohio writing, Wow, Greg asked someone how much money they make. Could you be any more crass? Can I recommend you stop asking that question? I would say you're better than that, but you asked this question so much on your show, perhaps you aren't better than that. Come on, John. I did not ask Joe, how much money do you make? That's crass. I said, if you're so inclined to answer, how much, what's the gross revenue of the website? Look, you people talking about where I cross the line and how asking about gross revenues solely cements in my mind where my level of business acumen is and where your level of business acumen is. Do you even know what gross revenues are and what they mean? They're bullshit numbers. I'll tell you what's not BS, Primo Grills. That's right. Hold on. Let me do this right. There we go. What do we love about ceramic cookers? We love that they're fuel efficient. We love that you can achieve low and slow temperatures for traditional barbecue meat. We also love you can get rip-roaring hot for temperatures like grilling steaks and other thin cuts. But what's missing and the everyday lineup of ceramic cookers. The real ability to do true two-zone cook. Two-zone cooking, very important for both professionals and backyarders. 
It's the best way to manage a fire, cook with confidence. However, getting a two-zone fire in a round ceramic cooker, not very realistic. Why? Because they're round. Enter Primo Grills and their game-changing oval design. The shape gives you the ability to execute a two-zone fire setup that you desire. It also gives you other ceramic grill benefits as well. Really, when you break it down, there's more than 60 different ways to configure that Primo cooker, so you're only limited by your culinary imagination. And we all know that lift hinge has been revamped. It gives you a nice eight-pound lift, which is really light. There's also revamps on the top and bottom air dampers. But if you're wanting more, Primo has you covered. The most anticipated accessory to date is out. You can get it right now with dealers or online, including the grill rotisserie. Everyone's favorite chicken can be done with ease now. Go online to primogrill.com, check it out, or visit a local Primo dealer to you and pick one of them up. Coming a bit later this year, the Primo Grill Pizza Accessory. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But here's the bottom line. The best ceramics in the biz, patented technology, true two-zone cooking capabilities, multiple sizes, yes. If you just have to have a round one, they have those as well. But really, consider the oval for Pete's sake. Visit primogrill.com for a dealer near you or check them on Facebook and on Instagram. Who's ready for a Primo? I'm ready for a Primo. Stephen Reichlin is ready to be on this show in moments. So stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, makers of automatic pit temperature control devices, sellers of ceramic cookers with built-in power draft fans and accessories to make your barbecue and grilling life easier. Visit them at bbqguru.com. Or call them with your questions, 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. And if I saw correctly, Bob might be coming out with a new pizza spice, maybe even pizza sauce. He was very all over the social talking about the breakthrough pizza spice. So maybe we can get Bob on soon enough to talk about that. All right, it is the third Tuesday of the month, and that means it is time for a visit with the icon of the industry, hosts of TV shows, writers of books, teachers of classes. The list goes on. Friend of show, Stephen Reichland joining us. Hey, Stephen. Hey, Greg. How are you? I am absolutely fabulous and appreciate you making time for the show as always. Last month, Stephen, we were talking to you on location. You were down in South Carolina getting ready uh, maybe even 48 hours after you were on the show to start putting on another round of Barbecue University. So let's go ahead and take a look back and do a little post-mortem on this edition of Barbecue U. Yeah, it was a great session. Uh, We had a uh, full house. We uh, reconfigured our grill area. We had a giant uh, uh, hemicircle with uh, two dozen grills, smokers, wood-burning ovens, uh, people from all over the country, even from uh, all over the Americas. 
and um, we had an awesome time. It was, uh, you know, perfect mixture of uh, intense barbecue instruction in the morning, time off to uh, enjoy this incredible property montage, Palmetto Bluffs, with 20,000 acres uh, on the May River, boating, fishing, just just a terrific place, very was, happy place. Was there a moment during the class where perhaps some of these guys went out, got a fishing charter or whatever it is, and then brought back fish and said, hey, can we do these in class on a whim? Oh, man, they sure did. They oh. brought back two gorgeous snappers and a Spanish mar mackerel. And, you know, I mean, mackerel sort of, unless it's impeccably uh, fresh, it can be a little funky. But this th th this stuff was so sweet. You want to just cut it up and eat it raw. It was not that we did. I mean, of course, we grilled it in the wood burning oven, but uh, it, was, it was fabulous. You're talking about how people were coming in from all over. As you look back through the years of Barbecue University, do you know where the furthest traveling attendant has been so far? Absolutely. So uh, we have had students from as far away as uh, Hong Kong, Guam, uh, Dubai, um, uh, from all over South America, all over North America, uh, Europe, of course, Germany, Spain, France. Yeah, it's a very international school. Are those folks coming in for more of the cooking instruction? Uh, certainly when you go to one of these events, there's the, the rest and relaxation portion of it because of the uh, majesty of the locations that you're at. But are these particular students doing a little bit more cooking yeah i think our foreign people are really coming like the gentleman from um uh from uh mexico uh, alejandro uh was his name uh he runs uh a um the, the national barbecue contest in mexico has a lot of spices has written a half a dozen uh, really fabulous books. Alejandro Gutierrez is his name from Monterey. And I think for him, the visit was, uh, you know, strictly professional. It's not to say he didn't enjoy himself uh, when class was out, but he was there to, you know, learn every minute. Also, I happen to know that new frequent shower-upper on this show, Robert Moss, was a student in attendance as well. What was it like having Robert as a student? Oh, it's fabulous. Uh, Robert, you know, if you don't know him, you should. He wrote a book called uh, Barbecue, History of an American Institution, which I actually just finished in preparation for a blog that we're going to do on him and the book on barbecuebible.com. A fascinating story. Uh, he, you know, we know that barbecue is inextricably interwoven with American history and culture. But he actually went back and uh, and filled and you know connected the dots and he found newspaper clippings, the names of people die uh, of uh, of uh, pit, long forgotten pitmasters, uh, uh, descriptions of these incredible barbecues, you know, with sixty thousand people uh, done without refrigeration, by the way, without uh, walkie talkies and without uh, golf carts. So pretty hard to imagine, but. Uh, um, the fascinating book. Stephen he's, also, he's a super nice guy. Stephen Reichland joining us yes. here on the show, barbecuebible.com, his website. Stephen, let me ask you, as somebody who has, as much as I'm a proud thumper of Cleveland and now has the proper background behind me, you have a, uh, a storied love affair with Maryland for obvious reasons. We're going to be vacationing there here shortly. We're going to Ocean City, and everyone in my family anticipating Maryland crab. So if I could ask you a couple different things, 
maybe a little backstory or, or history of what you know on the Maryland crab, and then perhaps more importantly, uh, what can we expect from a preparation standpoint in a restaurant setting, and how do I eat these things? Uh, a lot of questions with uh, very long answers, but I'll try and uh, shorten them. First of all, my connection with crab, I was born in Japan, but raised in Baltimore, Maryland. So every significant event of my life from graduations to uh, birthdays to anniversaries were always celebrated over a Maryland crab feast. What I'd like you to imagine is a table spread with newspaper. The crabs are steamed in a mixture of vinegar and beer. Uh, after being thickly crusted with Old Bay or other seasoning, black pepper, uh, and coarse salt. Uh, and they are uh, steamed just until they turn bright red. They're dumped unceremoniously, or perhaps with great ceremony, onto the table. You're provided with two implements, uh, a wooden mallet and a uh, paring knife. And you are meant to eat the crabs uh, with your bare hands, preferably drinking pitchers of icy Natty Bow, National Bohemian beer. Uh, the, uh, so in terms of how to eat a Maryland, but by the way, I want to refer you to, I think it was episode 10 or episode 11 of uh, my new, the latest uh, project, uh, Fire, which we taped in Baltimore. And we called that show a Maryland Crab Feast. And I did a crab boil, but uh, I did it with the Reichland Twist, which was over a wood-burning fire uh, instead of over a gas burner. I also brought some uh, some New Orleans uh, elements in, like uh, kielbasa and okra and corn, which probably will re would be regarded as heretical by anybody in Maryland, but nonetheless, we're very good. So here's how you eat it. First of all, you rip off one big claw. You gently pound it with the mallet to crack the shell. You eat the sweet meat uh, just right out of the shell with the tongue-blistering spices uh, stinging your lips and seasoning the meat. Then you break off the little uh, swimmerettes, the little baby legs, and you kind of kind of nibble those down uh, much the way you would, I guess, nibble honey out of a little straw. Uh, um, and then you turn the crab over, and there's what looks like a little beer tab on the bottom of it, you know, beer can tab. You lift that up, you pry it open, and that enables you to separate the carapace, the back, uh, from the body. You pull the uh, back over. You scrape out what looks like the spaghetti uh, in the center. That's uh, the entrails, and that's parts that you don't want to eat. If you really want to act like an insider, inside the corners of the crab shell, you scrape with your paring knife. There's a yellow uh, fatty. It's, a, it's actually the crab fat. Uh, we call it the mustard, and that is a real delicacy. <laughs> now you're ready to kind of get back to down to business in terms of uh, eating the crabs. You break the body in half. You cut each in half in half lengthwise and you start with your fingers uh, gently teasing out the milk white sweet lump crab meat by the way after you've done this with a group few crabs you know why it costs sixty dollars a pound i mean it's <laughs> an incredibly time consuming uh, procedure all the while every bite you're eating with your fingers it's got this thick peppery uh, vinegary spicy paste on it so every bite you take that paste is seasoning the delicate white meat uh, of the crab. Now, uh, one of the beauties of a crab feast is it never ends. I mean, you just, it takes so long and so much energy to eat one crab that by the time you're done, you're hungry for another one. If I ever, uh, had to pick my last night's meal, it would be a crab feast simply because, you know, it would just keep going on. Right. Forever. Live on a no, seriously. It's, uh, 
it's going to be a, a big, I, I envy you. It's going to be an awesome. And by the way, uh, when I uh, was in high school, I was in a rock band and our sort of our big gig was uh, going down to Ocean City to play at a club in Ocean City. Hmm. Yeah, well, we're really staying fun. at a place right on the boardwalk. Um, but we were there a number of years ago, but it was for a softball tournament. So we spent a lot of time more in Salisbury than uh, actually in the touristy part. So this time it's just for pleasure only and we're looking forward to that man eat a eat a crab for me i'm envious by the way in that same show and you can find these on stephenreichland.com i think once they air you can stream them or look for them on uh, create tv but we also did a smoke roasted crab cake where i took a crab cake cooked it on a plancha adding wood chunks to the fire and then we did a grilled soft shell crab sandwich that was awesomeness itself so i mean i'm up here in new england you know we eat lots of grilled lobster here but nothing i mean nothing beetle and blue crab well now you've got me all jazzed up uh, we're going to be leaving out of here you know within the next couple of days so uh, that will be on the bucket list to do during the course of the next handful of days and obviously i'll report back and let you know how we did and i'll have one or ten for you uh, as uh, we go I, I mean is it safe to think that any self-respecting crab house or shack is going to be serving these in a much similar way well uh they should and if they're not serving them that way uh then you're not in a good crab house now you know just spoiler alert uh in recent years the newspaper sometimes come to be supplanted with black uh, with uh, brown butcher paper so mm. you know that's not a deal breaker um but if your crabs are not dumped on the table eating with your bare hands you're not it's not the real deal that's the sign all right uh news coming in from stephen reichland that i'm going to be taking to the vest and applying here shortly now let's change gears a little bit stephen and i appreciate you indulging me in my uh vacation what i should and should not be doing when i'm in ocean city uh one of the recent posts on barbecuebible.com was the ember roasting of corn which I'm sure could also lead to other vegetables. And that's a second part of this question here. But, you know, you're a guy that continues to either bring old ways of cooking back into vogue or into style or just inventing them yourself. I've seen you cook on the embers, uh, doing caveman cooking, as you call it. I think I've seen you actually cook on shovels at one point. And now we are kind of returning back to a caveman-esque style, but doing it with vegetables. The book, of course, uh, doing uh, grilling vegetables is out and uh, this maybe rolls into it, but uh, can you take me through how you would process corn and then get them down into the embers and how you cook? Absolutely. Super easy. You build a charcoal fire, uh, you rake it out into an even layer, you take a newspaper, remember those, and you fan the top to blow off any loose ash. And then you lay the corn in its husk right on the embers. Now, if you follow me, you know I'm a definitely a husk off guy when it comes to grilling corn, no soak guy. But in this instance, you wanna cook, grill it in the husk because you wanna burn the husk and silk off the corn. And in that process, that will drive a smoke flavor into the kernels of corn. Once the corn, once all the husk and, and silk are burned off and the uh, kernels are kind of dappled black and brown and yellow, your corn is done. And um, that's it's a fantastic way. Uh, basically, and any bulbous, smooth, fin, uh, smooth skin vegetable can be caveman. And I'm thinking here, eggplants totally. Amazing. I call this cavemaning, by the way, caveman grilling. 
uh, eggplant, fantastic grilled this way, and you can puree it and turn it into baba ganoush, or you can chop it up and make a salad. Um, bell peppers, fantastic grilled this way. You burn off the skin. They become super, supernaturally smoky, tender, sweet. Uh, onions grilled in the skins, another fantastic uh, way to cook that vegetable. Pumpkin or squash, uh, a char off the skin. You know, the idea is we're used to sort of smoking with an external fuel, right? Wood chips or chunks, but you can char a vegetable right in the skin and use the skin as a smoking fuel to smoke mm. the vegetable. So that's what you're doing. Can you do it with potato? Really neat. Yeah, potatoes are a little bit different. You can do it with sweet potatoes because they have a high moisture content. Mm. Regular potatoes, uh, you can do it. What I tend to do th uh, with those is I wouldn't put them right on the embers per se, but I would kind of move them to the periphery or maybe if you've got some ash, kind of bury them in the ash and put some cinders on top, roast them in the embers. There's a famous uh, Van Gogh painting called The Potato Eaters where the potatoes are actually roasted in the embers just as I described, come out jet black and, you know, that was kind of one of his last great masterpieces before he moved to France and discovered color. Um, check it out. Stephen Reichel joining us here on the show, uh, barbecuebible.com's website. One last thing I wanted to ask you about, Stephen, before I let you go, and appreciate the time as always. Uh, you have been very upfront and honest as we've talked over the years about how you continue to develop and adapt and evolve uh, within all the technology that's available today. And there continues to be rollouts of new social media and who knows what's going to end up being great and what's just going to be a flash in the pan and then it's gone you know, five, six months later. TikTok is obviously something that's been around for a while now. It's very popular. Presidents were talking about potentially banning it. So that's when you know something's really popular. And I, more and more, I'm seeing a lot of my live fire kin getting on to TikTok and really amassing quite a following over a quite a short period of time, especially when you compare it to how they started on YouTube or when they started on a podcast. Are you on TikTok? And uh, if not, is that something that you might be looking into? As of three days ago, uh, I became uh, a TikTok. Uh, what do I call a it? I'm a TikTok user. I'm a TikToker. Uh, yeah, I've uh, I've made three posts. So if anybody's listening and they want to follow me, I would appreciate that. Um, this was a young member of the family who thought that it would be a good idea for me to do it. And actually she was helping me do it. So I, when she's gone, I hope I can figure out how to do it myself. But, uh, I, I do actually do my own social media, uh, believe it or not. And, uh, I take great enjoyment out of that because it's really sort of interesting to see the reactions. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I learn a great deal, uh, by, by connecting with my own social media people was your family member younger family member saying hey you need to get on here because there's a whole mass of people out here that maybe don't know about you or would only know about you in a peripheral way and this would allow you to be more exposed to them and, and have them buy into the brand a little bit more well, I think it was a little bit less marketing savvy, a little bit more, hey, this is really neat. Look at it. You know, me and my sister, we do this all the time and uh, you should do it too. But uh, it's pretty cool. How do you see um, it? I mean, you're, you're a guy who, if there is anybody who has created more content in the live fire realm, uh, I would challenge it immediately. So it would seem to me that this is a match made in heaven, uh, whether it's a minute video or whatever, you, you would have to have somewhere around the 
neighborhood of 700 years worth of archived stuff that you've done. So you have a lot of TikTok um, uh, ammo in the in the jacket here. I, I have a lot of content, and um, you know, it's uh, undoubtedly uh, it will eventually find its way onto all of my social media platforms. Um, the challenge is I have so much content uh, that you know, figuring out the right, right way to dose it out uh, to keep timely because I want to keep creating new stuff. But at the same time, I go back in the archives and look at the old stuff, and that's really cool too. Uh, no, it's, you know, time uh, marches on. I'm a guy that kind of grew up with newspapers and magazine writing. That's when I came of age. And, uh, and then the TV came next, and then the website and uh, the, the, you know, blogs and now social media, and you keep moving. Why well, even Barbecue Central has a new background. That's right. We keep it. moving. That's Very right, Steve. It only took 12 years, but here we are nonetheless. Uh, BarbecueBible.com is website. Follow Stephen on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, and now TikTok. So get over there and give him a follow. And you can find him here on the third Tuesday of every month. Stephen, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, everybody. Good talking to you. You too. There he is, Hall of Famer right there, Stephen Reichlin. Once again... Get over on TikTok and follow him. Do you know Malcolm Reed has like 660,000 TikTok curs followers? Man, 660. He's got, relatively speaking, and I don't think Malcolm has been on TikTok for, has it been six months? Can you tell? Can somebody jump on TikTok and see when the account was started? I don't think he's been on there a year. I mean, he's 1.3, 1.4 million on YouTube, and I know he's been doing that for 10 years. So now certainly the big following on YouTube helps grow whatever you're getting into once you've reached his level of fame, but I would imagine within a year he'll have more TikTok followers than he'll have YouTube subscribers, and YouTube's the main deal. Maybe it should be YouTube. He's growing like crazy. You can find him on the show here. Once a month on the first Tuesday, if you didn't know that. If you're just tuning in for the first time. That was Stephen Reichland, BarbecueBible.com, his website. Follow him on TikTok. You can follow me on TikTok. I am posting never. Shame on me. I should. And I'm not even going to say I'm going to get better at that. I'm just saying I should. I should post more, but I don't. Once again, thanks to Stephen Reichland. Let me talk to you quickly about Pits and Spits. Since 1983, Pits and Spits handcrafting smokers and grills in Houston, Texas, and in that time, establishing itself as one of the premier brands and high-quality offset smokers, and more recently, pellet cookers. Pits and Spits setting itself apart by using heavy 7- and 10-gauge stainless in every cooker, a fully welded construction that you can feel when you use the unit. 304 stainless roll-top lids and front shelves on every smoker. Does it matter? Yes. By using high-quality material... You reach and maintain temperatures, allowing you to worry more about the meat than the heat. And by providing a fully welded smoker, you don't have to worry about grease and smoke leaking out of the barrel, that grill rattling apart as you move it through the backyard. And it's an heirloom quality piece you can pass down to the kids if you want. Now, where some companies focus on being a low-cost provider, Pits and Spits focuses on craftsmanship and using quality materials. Are there cheaper ways to make these? Yes. Are they going to? No. Because they don't like tack welds and cheap stainless and electronics you can't trust. Having in-house manufacturing gives them control of everything they want. Not something you find in with the other stuff. 
steel suppliers give you material to be used in some of the harshest environments. It's going to perform anywhere if you live in Michigan or Florida or any points in between. Controllers are made right here in the States. They have unimpeded transparency into the programming. Pits and Spits is sold through a dealer network across the country, but if there isn't one near to you, give Koi a call in the shop, 844-650-6250. Whether you're a backyard grill master or a competition team, they have the right pit for you. Check them out online, pitsandspits.com. That's pitsandspits.com, all spelled out. Or see their pits in the wild across social media at their handle at pitsandspits. Once again, all spelled out. Bill Oakley is in the green room. So we're going to be talking fast food and Las Vegas trips and other shenanigans and hijinks. So you just stick around and we'll be right back. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And this portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all those pellet-driven cookers. No matter what brand, this is the brand of pellet that you want to buy. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information, see what other products they have, or to purchase CookinPellets.com. My next guest tonight is a growing fast food reviewer on social media, specifically Instagram, because of the one-minute time limit. And he is joining me once again for now the second time. So we would say a semi-recurring guest at this point, Bill Oakley. Hey, Bill. Hello. Excited to be back. Before we get into the uh, recent Las Vegas trip, Bill, and where you were eating and what was good out there and uh, perhaps what wasn't good out there, I wanted to ask you about an article I had read recently that put a Houston, Texas Burger King on blast, basically saying that they were unethically upselling at the drive through order box. As an example, Bill goes to Burger King and says, I want a large double Whopper cheese, hold the onions, blah, blah, blah. And they say, do you want that medium or large? Never saying that there's a small option available. And now somebody has decided to take issue with this. So is this unethical or should the buyer beware and know that there is yet a smaller option available and this is much ado of nothing you know i'm not totally sure there is a smaller option available we i know we discussed this briefly uh, earlier and i was like i never once heard of a small version of a combo meal it's always it's kind of a regular and a large situation where and i would be honestly is there a small version of like of like a McDonald's whatever number six meal? Uh, if there is, I've never heard of it. So to me, it doesn't sound quite like so much of a scam uh, because I, I always thought they just came in two sizes, not three. But I, I can see that if that if that if there were a small version available, that not mentioning it would yes be somewhat of a scam. Could I play devil's advocate here and say they have done they as in the fast food? have done such a good job at saying medium or large or showing you only on the on the uh, price board that there's medium and large options that indeed there is small and perhaps we just are an uneducated consuming base that is totally true and i will have to check it. next time i go to mcdonald's which probably will be within 24 hours i'm going to look i'm going to look because i never if there is one it's news to me all right do you go to McDonald's a lot? Is it just for um, is it just for reviews and whatnot? 
Are you a big fan? Uh, no, I go there. It's actually, it's pretty close. It's it's the only really conveniently located one. And I do go there a lot because I like, uh, you know, it's a convenient way to get a cheeseburger on my, you know, and I'm going somewhere. Is that what is most magical about McDonald's especially? I've eaten at some Burger Kings. For whatever reason, here in Ohio, Burger King seems to not carry a lot of popularity. You can go by, typically their uh, McDonald's and a Burger King are in close proximity to each other. So it's pretty easy to see who has the bigger line at whatever period of time of the day you're rolling around it. And 10 times out of 10, there are eight or nine times more cars in the McDonald's drive through than there is in the BK drive through Do you find the same thing out there in Oregon? Absolutely. And, and RBKs are especially dilapidated for some particular reason. Um, and I think the thing is that it's also much more of a family, like, what I see at McDonald's is lots and lots of minivans where there's obviously kids in there and the kids want the Happy Meal. The kids want an ice cream cone or McFlurry. And I think that's whereas I've never known any kid ever that wanted to go to Burger King. So I think that has a lot to do with it, probably. And, and it's also that McDonald's has really, at least around here, they've really upgraded their drive through experience. It goes much faster. It's much clearer. And the Burger King one is still the seven, 1970s one. Do you think also that Burger King has really marshaled themselves off in the flavor profile category because they do the flame broiling and perhaps a younger, less experienced palate would taste that burger and go, ugh, I don't like that. And and just a, a top fried on both sides burger that McDonald's is doing is a little bit more appreciable to the younger palate. I think that might have something to do with it. Are but we it's digging also too deep in the fast food, Bill? I mean, what are we doing? There's there's no such thing as too deep in fast food, Greg. Honestly, there I could go I could go as deep as you want to go, and and ten times deeper than that in terms of this subject. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, McDonald's attracts families because they market so heavily to kids with those the the prizes and the toys and the stuff. Burger King doesn't do that. Uh, Bill, ketchup on hot dogs? Yes or no? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm going to say yes, and I know this is a big. Yeah. Uh, boy, do I get you. This, this, <laughs> and mayonnaise are the two biggest things. The online, whenever you bring these two things up, mm. ketchup on hot dogs or mayonnaise, just the existence of mayonnaise, that you know, or mayonnaise on anything, is such a polarizing topic um, that that it just. I'm shocked, honestly, that people have such a passion for not having mayonnaise or for caring so much about people putting mm. ketchup on their hot dogs. Now, let me say, there are many types of hot dogs that you should not put ketchup on. You never put ketchup on a Chicago dog. You never put ketchup on a Carolina dog. You know, you don't put it on one with sauerkraut and whatever. But if you just want to have a hot dog with some ketchup on it, I usually have mine, my regular ones with ketchup, mustard, and relish, which I think is a fine, you know, thing. I, I, you know, I don't want them with just ketchup. But I don't have any objection to people putting ketchup on them like so many people do. And you're saying that there's a general disdain for mayo in general, not just like going yes. on a hot dog, but it, hey, there's mayo on that OFU. Yes. Wow. It's shocking. And, and I would say <laughs> it probably, based on my observation, uh, probably about 20% of the public hates mayonnaise with a passion. And they get real upset about or something that you get with it. You get mayonnaise on something, and it's like I've had this. I was I honestly was stunned to know that there was such a large community of mayonnaise haters because I'm a mayonnaise enthusiast. Yes, and and I, I'm I'm honestly shocked by their the vehemence with which they hate it. Uh, Bubba burgers, yes or no? 
you know, I've only had them once or twice and they're totally fine as far, as far as I'm concerned, but I don't remember it well enough to make a, uh, make a real definitive pronouncement. I know that at least at my grocery store, they got six or seven other brand competing brands that are look to be pretty much identical. So I don't know. And I haven't really tried them. It's for me, it's not that much harder just to make a regular old burger out of with fresh ground beef. So that's in general what I do. Bill Oakley joining me here on the show. You can follow him over on Instagram. If you're not doing that currently at that T H A T at that bill Oakley, and you can check out what he's posting. Uh, he does a lot of story posting, uh, which, of course, is at the top of the app, and those things delete within 24 hours. But then he's also making some really cool videos on the stuff that he's reviewing as well. So give him a follow if you're not doing that. Recently, Bill, you took a trip out to Las Vegas. So were you just going out for the food experience, or were you brought out there for some kind of business? No, it's primarily for food when I when I go there. And this time, it, it was extremely... Um, I would actually say it was it was kind of hectic because I wanted to try so many different places, and uh, you know I can only eat so many meals in a day, and I and I I basically kind of got it down to four, uh, and and during my trip I kind of you know I was I was busy going to these places and I kind of you know I crowdsourced it because I didn't know what was really good in Las Vegas, and I asked my Instagram followers and I got hundreds of recommendations and I tried to go to the ones that got the most. So you're basically saying, hey. I'm going to Vegas for X amount of days. Where should I eat? Like, are you casting that big of a net? Yeah. Wow. Yes, that's exactly what it was. And and I did. And I and I and I went to most of the places that got you know ten or more recommendations. Uh, and I had you know I had nothing but in, incredible meals. And uh, to some extent, though, I wish you know because I when I'm too full, I don't appreciate the meal. So I had to I had to dial it down. I didn't want to have four gigantic meals a day. I had to have some lighter stuff and I had to have some, uh, you know, I had to have some uh, smaller items than I would normally have had just so I could sample the places. So as you look back on it, now that you've had a little time away from it, you can uh, unbiasedly rate everything. Who, in your estimation, was winning in Las Vegas? What are the top two or three that really stand out in your mind? You know, I don't think there's that much of an argument at the moment. There's been a number of, of uh, Asian places that have gotten a lot of press that like, you know, these, the Roy Choi's uh, best friend and uh, I think it's David Chang's Momofuku. And I think, you know, honestly, at Momofuku, I only went for the happy hour where they have an incredibly uh, price reduced menu. And it was amazing. That was probably the best thing I had. My entire trip was the uh, like the fried chicken bun at Momofuku which was amazing. The second best thing I had was at another Asian place called Mott 32, which is a, has a kind of a unique pan Asian type menu. And I had these hot and sour soup dumplings, which also were some of the best things I've ever eaten. Hmm. Uh, and then interestingly, the third, the best thing I had was not a fancy at all. was at a place called dirt dog, which I think originated in LA. And I had this hot Cheetos covered corn on the cob. And I'm actually not, you know, I know there's all these weird dishes these days that are made with hot Cheetos. Yeah. I'm not a fan of them and I've never sought them out, but this people recommended and I had it and it was staggeringly good. Staggeringly so, good. And those are the top three. Staggeringly good. And wow. I, and and a couple other places that I want to mention for anybody going out. There. First of all, everything that I did in Las Vegas is on my Instagram is on the, my highlights. It's divided into Las Vegas A and Las Vegas B. So there's a lot of stuff, including, you know, not just food, but other attractions I visited. Uh, other places you must visit are this place called the Egg Slut, which is in the Cosmopolitan, which makes breakfast stuff. I know that name is, is a strange <laughs> name. Uh, they they make breakfast stuff, including these 
these breakfast sandwiches, which are just magnificent. Uh, then there's the uh, the Pepper Mill, which is a very famous Las Vegas place, which is real old school and and has a um, incredible aesthetic, which is really neon, like really 1970s Las Vegas. Uh, and the food is like basically kind of a diner style menu, but everything on it is spectacular. And people have been raving about it for for I don't know thirty or forty years, I guess. Those are other places I would recommend. I know you probably don't want to go here, and I'm trying to tread on the verbiage to be nice. But are there places that get hyped that you would say ah, after being there? I would say try other places first before you would try these yeah, two or three. Gordon Ramsay steak. That's where I went <laughs> the first night I was there. Was a Gordon like you know I, I have I have nothing but admiration for Gordon Ramsay, but uh, I went to his steak his place that's a steak place in in the I think it's in the Paris and. First, it's insanely expensive, and the place is just one. It's like it's it's a mill, you know. It's a tourist mill. The place is big, it's gigantic. It smells kind of strange. Mm. The food was all B B minuses. Like wasn't and at that price. I want A's. You know, every other place I ate was an A yeah. or A plus, and and this place, um, it, it really, it was really more of a, a you know. And a fancy sizzler or something like that where it kind of like they, they cranked it out man they cranked it out and you get a free with your meal you get a free autograph picture of gordon ramsay which i'm certain was not really signed by him so i left it in the men's room <laughs> and stuff like that you know like it, i don't recommend that place i'm sure his other places especially hell's kitchen which has a three-month waiting list of reservations i couldn't even get in uh that probably has a little bit better but this place is showing its age the food is good, but not great, and no, by no means is it worth the colossal price you'll pay for it. Uh, anything else that was within that realm, or that takes a cake? No, that was the only. I didn't go to places that I thought were going to be crummy. I only went to places that I thought were going to be great, and that was not among them. Uh, Bill, one last thing before I let you go tonight, and appreciate the time. I saw you make a post earlier about a book called "The Unofficial Simpsons Cookbook." Obviously. Anybody that's a fan of yours knows that you were a uh, the writer, showrunner, seven, eight years, whatever it was. So this has to hold a, a certain place in your heart here, and I know you wrote the forward to it. So tell me a little bit about this book and, and the opportunity. I want to get it out right here so I can leaf through it. As yeah, I tell you. please. <laughs> okay, so any people watching on video, this is what the book looks like. You still there? Yes, I'm right. Yep. I just uh, put okay. a pushed in on you so we could just see the book. Nice. Oh, okay, yeah. good. So there's the book. Okay. You can order it from simonandschuster.com or much more conveniently on amazon.com. Uh, and it is by Laurel Randolph, who runs a Instagram account called The Joy of Cooking Millhouse, which is um, which I recommend you follow. And she's been doing this, I think, for years, making recipes of things that appeared on The Simpsons. And a lot of them seem to be from the era that I was there. Um and you got things like the, you know, you got the squishy, you got recipes. And these recipes are good, too. They're not garbagey. They're, you know, like the food on The Simpsons is, is intentionally bad in many cases. These recipes are improved versions of things that you've seen on the show, like the squishy, for example, or steamed hams, which I wrote, which, you know, comes as, as the Krusty Burger or the various cakes you've seen in the in the show. Um, and and so, like, like there must be like a hundred of them in here. And uh, wow. it's really funny. Like, and the, photo, the, the photography is so good. And... I highly recommend that anybody um, 
who is familiar with the show and has remembered all the different crazy foods we've had and uh, get this book. It's not, even if you don't want to cook, it's still fun to look at these photos because it's funny to see these items in real life, painstakingly, painstakingly cooked. And, and then the photographs are so good. They really look like they came out of the Simpsons universe. If you are not necessarily a Simpson watcher and just a lover of food, also a book you would want to give a try, or is this really more in the Simpsons wheelhouse? It's 90% for fans, but I think that if you were just a kind of an experimental eater, you might want to give it a shot as well. Um, but it's, I would say it's, you know, 90% fan service. And it's currently available right now. Go to Amazon or go to the Simon Schuster website. I, th- you can I think it comes it right out now. in like two weeks, but you can pre-order it now. Yeah. All right. Pre-order. So that's good. And then uh, the writer just get a hold of you and ask you to, to write a forward then? Yeah, I think that I've been following that account for a long time because I love to see her make these things in in real life. And we just kind of corresponded on Instagram. And and of course, I was delighted to write the foreword because I'm a food. It combines two of my hugest interests uh, and two of my careers, food and Simpsons writing. How does she go about trying to decipher what she's seeing on a cartoon and then devising a recipe that may or may not whatever they're showing in, in in like two or three colors the recipes are, are in most cases her versions are improved versions of the sure. food. many of the food items were supposed to be terrible <laughs> and and her versions are improved versions of it like when homer made that pie out of like cloves and tom collins mix <laughs> that was all it was in the house right she has a version of a pie that is an appetizing version of that, for instance. So, so you know, you'd still get your, your jollies from from knowing that it was a Simpsons thing, but it's a palatable. It's something you'd want to eat as opposed to something that was total crud. Bill, how are you finding uh, the continued traction on Instagram, and and where are you looking to continue to take this over the next handful of months? Like, what's what's big on the food scene that you're hearing about that you're looking forward to reviewing? Uh, well, a couple of different things. First of all, I, I, I don't think since the last time I was on here, the Burger King chicken sandwich, the final entry in the chicken sandwich war was brought by Burger King. And much to my surprise, it was terrific. And I later found out it's because Popeye's and Burger King are now owned by the same place. And basically Popeye's is using uh, Burger King's using a Popeye's recipe with a slight amendment. So it's really terrific. And in fact, my review of it was so shockingly good that I now appear in a Burger King commercial. Uh, and some of you, you viewers may have seen it already. It appeared during the final, uh, the NBA finals, uh, where, where what the portion of my review appears in the Burger King commercial. So I do recommend that. The next thing to come out that I'm interested in coming out, I think next week is Popeye's Chicken Nuggets, which is their sequel to their sandwich, which is apparently using the same kind of recipe that they use in the sandwich mm. to make chicken nuggets. And Popeye's has already made, this is one thing that's a little weird to me because Popeye's has already made popcorn chicken and chicken strips for years. And this doesn't seem like it's incredibly different, but they're using the cooking techniques from the sandwich, mm. which obviously everybody loves. So it might be, it actually might be somewhat revolutionary as well. In your heart of hearts, Bill, and I'm asking you to speculate with your more fervent of knowledge here. Is this now going to set off the chicken nugget wars of 2021, much like the Popeye's chicken sandwich set off a war of chicken sandwichings amongst the fast food eateries? You know, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think it will because, you know, this is what I found out from people inside the business who now talk to me about stuff like this. 
the whole chicken sandwich war was 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 not started by Popeyes. It was started by Chick-fil-A and started by everybody. Every other chain was like, Chick-fil-A is expanding all over the place. We need a chicken sandwich that can rival them. And the first one out of the gate was Popeyes. And it, you know, it sort of defined the whole field, but that was kind of what it was. And so in this case, I don't know that everybody is, that, that the restaurant universe is saying, we need a new chicken nugget. But, and also because again, how different is going to be than the previous Popeye's chicken attempt, chicken nugget attempts. I don't think it's going to be that different, but I'm, I'll be delighted to be shocked and amazed at how great it is. All right. Well, I will wait for your review. Uh, we'll have you back on, of course, in a couple months to get a full review of those. And uh, perhaps we will then be able to see if my question was fortuitous or if it was just a toss. Yeah, here at it, the end it'll of the be cycle. interesting. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see whether whether America whether there'll be a whole new chain. Honestly, I'm looking forward to a new trend that is not chicken. I've had enough chicken sandwiches this year. Uh, I'll have the nuggets, but I kind of would like to see something else uh, be the next fast food war. All right, let's put you on record right now, Bill Oakley at that Bill Oakley on Instagram. What do you think could be the next food trend in the fast food world that should take off? What needs to be revamped or revisited or something along these lines? Onion rings. If I could, if this is not only, it's not only what I think it should be revisited. I, this is the one that I would choose uh, that I, you know, it, it, I think that there's something really hard about cooking onion rings, apparently, and only Burger King has them and they're not very good there, but they're still okay. And I can't, I don't know that that many other places even attempt them, but to be honest, that's what like, that's my favorite side. Like I don't even order fries most of the time. I order just a, a second burger because I, that's for the same calories. I'd rather have a second burger. But onion rings, I will order if they're available, huh. and I would love it if somebody would if, pe- if there would be if there be an onion ring war, I would be so happy. All right, you've heard it here, fast food people. So get on your onion ring recipes, and that's going to be potentially the war of twenty twenty. We'll start it here, Bill. I Grassroots hope, I hope, movement I don't starting know. at the barbecue. I, I, I'm I'm hoping and praying that that's the next innovation in the world of fast food is a delicious new onion ring. We'll see. Uh, Bill Oakley is my guest. You can follow him over on Instagram at that Bill Oakley, and go ahead on over to Amazon and pick up that unofficial Simpsons cookbook and enjoy it, especially if you're a Simpsons fan. Bill, appreciate the time this evening. Thanks so much for doing it. It's always my pleasure, Greg. Thanks for having me. You got it. There he is, Bill Oakley right there. Well, I started the countdown timer on accident, but that's all right. You won't see that. Uh, follow Bill over at Instagram, and you can also... Check him out. Uh, he posts a number of stories, as I'd said. So if you're not familiar with Instagram, uh, get familiar with it because his stories are great. And he's very entertaining, and he does a really good job at uh, his niche. Uh, if you like uh, Dame Drops, I think Dame has gotten a little too big for his shoes. He's reached a new stratosphere. I mean, really, let's break it down. You're reviewing fast food. Don't get too high and mighty, pal. Bill's right in the niche right now. He's kind of the master. Speaking of masters, Sterling Ball over at Big Papa Smokers, killing it on the competition, killing it on the competition scene as always, but also giving you the best products to step up that barbecue and grilling game in the backyard. You like rubs and seasonings? They have 13 perfectly balanced rubs and seasonings. Popular flavors like Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow, all proven winners on the competition circuit. And in the backyard, you can find them over at BigPapaSmokers.com. They also own Granny's Barbecue Sauce, so if you're looking for a new go-to sauce, 
that will please everybody. Granny's traditionally a powerful flavor. Remind you of why you fell in love with barbecue in the first place. They also have other top-rated sauces available on the website. And aside from the premium selection of rubs and sauces, they got cookers, right? Who's ready for a versatile smoker that's easy to use? Me? I am. Check out that Mac 2-Star General Pellet Cooker. Big Papa Smokers, the exclusive Mac dealer, even offering special packages. Not a fan of pellet smokers? All right. Take a look at that old Hickory Ace BP. Super sexy. The only charcoal smoker that Big Papa trusts on his competition trailer. If you're not sure of what grill you need, give them a call. Ask questions. They will help you get the right cooker to fit both your needs and budget. 877 Or shop the website BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A Smokers.com. That was Bill Oakley, and we'll be back right after this to wrap up the first hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Chris Payne from Euclid, Ohio, and you are listening to Barbecue Central. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, Fireboard 2 Pro. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or via Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home, you're in luck. Fireboard fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. That's Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, and Fireboard 2 Pro. Once again, we thank Bill Oakley for joining me last segment, giving you the rundown on where to go in Las Vegas, if you're going anytime soon, where not to go, Gordon Ramsay's Steakhouse. Let me save you the email. Greg, you asked Joe Clements how much revenue his website makes, but you don't ask Bill Oakley how much the bill was at the steak place for Gordon Ramsay. Come on. Not the same. At that Bill Oakley is his Instagram handle. Follow him over there. And we also thank Stephen Reichland for joining us before Bill in the first hour, talking about Maryland crab. Can't wait to get my hands on some of that in the next week or two. All right, let's wrap up the first hour. We're a little over right now, so we'll have a abbreviated top of the second hour, and we'll get to guests after that. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. We'll be right back.